What's happening around town? How can I find out? The Castlemaine Mail has all you'll ever need to know and more. Business, sport and all the local goss. Grab your copy from the Castlemaine News Agent and other selected local outlets every Friday and look out for the Main FM Program Guide on the last Friday of every month. The Castlemaine Mail, a proud sponsor of Main FM. The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Group. All aboard. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling And everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the half-happiest season of all with those holiday greetings and gay happy meetings when friends come to call it's the happiest season of all there'll be parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of christmases long long ago it's the most wonderful time of the year There'll be much mistletoeing And hearts will be glowing When loved ones are near It's the most wonderful time of the Scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time Oh, the most wonderful time Of the year That was Andy Williams there with It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year And it really is. Here on The Quiet Carriage today, a Merry Christmas to one and all, and thank you for joining me for this special Christmas edition of The Quiet Carriage. What a weird year it's been, but we've all got there in the end, I think. Well, we have in Australia anyway, just. It's been such a great year for The Quiet Carriage. As you probably know, we're now across Australia on the community radio network, not just Castlemaine. And I really want to end this year on a bit of a high. And like we did last year, we'll do something a little bit different, as well as playing a lot of party tunes. I'm going to be playing for you three readings from an author who is probably as synonymous with Christmas as Dodgy Jumpers and Mince Pies, Mr. Charles Dickens. And without further ado, let's break into it. Here is Charles Dickens' story called Nobody's Story, read by Bert Wolfe. Nobody's Story by Charles Dickens He lived on the bank of a mighty river, broad and deep, 
which was always silently rolling onto a vast undiscovered ocean. It had rolled on ever since the world began. It had changed its course sometimes and turned into new channels, leaving its old ways dry and barren. But it had ever been upon the flow and ever was to flow until time should be no more. Against its strong, unfathomable stream, nothing made head. No living creature, no flower, no leaf, no particle of animate or inanimate existence ever strayed back from the undiscovered ocean. The tide of the river set resistlessly towards it, and the tide never stopped any more than the earth stops in its circling round the sun. He lived in a busy place, and he worked very hard to live. He had no hope of ever being rich enough to live a month without hard work, but he was quite content. God knows, to labor with a cheerful will. He was one of an immense family, all of whose sons and daughters gained their daily bread by daily work, prolonged from their rising up betimes until their lying down at night. Beyond this destiny, he had no prospect, and he sought none. There was over much drumming, trumpeting, and speech-making in the neighborhood where he dwelt, but he had nothing to do with that. Such clash and uproar came from the Bigwig family, at the uncountable proceedings of which race he marveled much. They set up the strangest statues in iron, marble, bronze, and brass before his door, and darkened his house with the legs and tails of uncouth images of horses. He wondered what it all meant, smiled in a rough, good-humored way he had, and kept at his hard work. The Bigwig family, composed of all the stateliest people thereabouts and all the noisiest, had undertaken to save him the trouble of thinking for himself and to manage him and his affairs. Why, truly, said he, I have little time upon my hands, and if you will be so good as to take care of me in return for the money I pay over for the Bigwig family were not above his money, I shall be relieved and much obliged, considering that you know best. Hence the drumming, trumpeting, and speech-making, and the ugly images of horses which he was expected to fall down and worship. I don't understand all this, said he, rubbing his furrowed brow confusedly, but it has a meaning, maybe, if I could find it out. It means, returned the Bigwig family, suspecting something of what he said, honor and glory in the highest, to the highest merit. Oh, said he, and he was glad to hear that. But when he looked among the images in iron, marble, bronze, and brass, he failed to find a rather meritorious countryman of his, once the son of a Warwickshire wool dealer, or any single countryman whomsoever of that kind, he could find none of these men whose knowledge had rescued him and his children from terrific and disfiguring disease, whose boldness had raised his forefathers from the condition of serfs, whose wise fancy had opened a new and high existence to the humblest whose skill had filled the working man's world with accumulated wonders, whereas he did find others whom he knew no good of, and even others whom he knew much ill of. Hm, said he, I don't quite understand it. So he went home and sat down by his fireside to get it out of his mind. Now his fireside was a bare one, all hemmed in by blackened streets, but it was a precious place to him. The hands of his wife were hardened with toil, and she was old before her time, but she was dear to him. His children, stunted in their growth, bore traces of unwholesome nurture, 
but they had beauty in his sight. Above all other things, it was an earnest desire of this man's soul that his children should be taught. If I am sometimes misled, said he, for want of knowledge, at least let them know better and avoid my mistakes. If it is hard for me to reap the harvest of pleasure and instruction that is stored in books, let it be easier to them. But the Bigwig family broke out into violent family quarrels concerning what it was lawful to teach to this man's children. Some of the family insisted on such a thing being primary and indispensable above all other things, and others of the family insisted on such another thing being primary and indispensable above all other things, and the big-wig family rent into factions, wrote pamphlets, held convocations, delivered charges, orations, and all varieties of discourses, impounded one another in courts lay and courts ecclesiastical, through dirt, exchanged pummelings, and fell together by the ears in unintelligible animosity. Meanwhile, this man, in his short evening snatches at his fireside, saw the demon ignorance arise there and take his children to itself. He saw his daughter perverted into a heavy, slatternly drudge. He saw his son go moping down the ways of low sensuality to brutality and crime. He saw the dawning light of intelligence in the eyes of his babies so changing into cunning and suspicion that he could have rather wished them idiots. I don't understand this any the better, said he. But I think it cannot be right. Nay, by the clouded heaven above me, I protest against this as my wrong. Becoming peaceable again, for his passion was usually short-lived and his nature kind, he looked about him on his Sundays and holidays, and he saw how much monotony and weariness there was, and thence how drunkenness arose with its train of ruin. Then he appealed to the bigwig family and said, We are a laboring people, and I have a glimmering suspicion in me that laboring people of whatever condition were made by a higher intelligence than yours, as I poorly understand it, to be in need of mental refreshment and recreation. See what we fall into when we rest without it. Come, amuse me harmlessly. Show me something. Give me an escape. But here, the big wig family fell into a state of uproar, absolutely deafening. When some few voices were faintly heard, proposing to show him the wonders of the world, the greatness of creation, the mighty changes of time, the workings of nature and the beauties of art, to show him these things, that is to say, at any period of his life, when he could look upon them, there arose among the bigwigs such roaring and raving, such pulpiting and petitioning, such maundering and memorializing, such name-calling and dirt-throwing, such a shrill wind of parliamentary questioning and feeble replying where I dare not waited on I would, that the poor fellow stood aghast staring wildly around. Have I provoked all this, said he, with his hands to his affrighted ears, by what was meant to be an innocent request, plainly arising out of my familiar experience and the common knowledge of all men who choose to open their eyes? I don't understand, and I am not understood. What is to come from such a state of things? He was bending over his work, often asking himself the question, when the news began to spread that a pestilence had appeared among the laborers and was slaying them by thousands. Going forth to look about him, he soon found this to be true. The dying and the dead were mingled in the close and tainted houses among which his life had passed. 
New poison was distilled into the always murky, always sickening air. The robust and the weak, old age and infancy, the father and the mother, all were stricken down alike. What means of flight had he? He remained there where he was, and saw those who were dearest to him die. A kind preacher came to him, and would have said some prayers to soften his heart and his gloom, but he replied, oh, What avails it, missionary, to come to me, a man condemned to residence in this fettered place, where every sense bestowed upon me for my delight becomes a torment, and where every minute of my numbered days is new mire added to this heap under which I lie oppressed. But give me my first glimpse of heaven, through a little of its light and air. Give me pure water, help me to be clean, lighten this heavy atmosphere and heavy life, in which our spirits sink and we become the indifferent and callous creatures you too often see us. Gently and kindly take the bodies of those who die among us out of the small room where we grow to be so familiar with the awful change that even its sanctity is lost to us. And teacher, then I will hear, none know better than you how willingly of him whose thoughts were so much with the poor and who had compassion for all human sorrow, he was at work again, solitary and sad, when his master came and stood near to him, dressed in black. He also had suffered heavily. His young wife, his beautiful and good young wife, was dead, so too his only child. Master, tis hard to bear, I know it, but be comforted. I would give you comfort if I could. The master thanked him from his heart. But, said he, O oh, you laboring men, the calamity began among you. If you had but lived more healthily and decently, I should not be the widowed and bereft mourner that I am this day. Master, returned the other, shaking his head, I have begun to understand a little that most calamities will come from us, as this one did and that none will stop at our poor doors until we are united with that great squabbling family yonder to do the things that are right. We cannot live healthily and decently unless they who undertook to manage us provide the means. We cannot be instructed unless they will teach us. We cannot be rationally amused unless they will amuse us. We cannot but have some false gods of our own while they set up so many of theirs in all the public places. The evil consequences of imperfect instruction, the evil consequences of pernicious neglect, the evil consequences of unnatural restraint and the denial of humanizing enjoyments will all come from us and none of them will stop with us. They will spread far and wide. They always do. They always have done, just like the pestilence. I understand so much, I think, at last. But the master said again, O oh, you laboring men, how seldom do we ever hear of you except in connection with some trouble. Master, he replied, I am nobody, and little likely to be heard of, nor yet much wanted to be heard of, perhaps, except when there is some trouble. But it never begins with me, and it never can end with me. As sure as death, it comes down to me, and it goes up from me. There was so much reason in what he said, that the big-wig family getting wind of it, and being horribly frightened by the late desolation, resolved to unite with him to do the things that were right, at all events, so far as the said things were associated with direct prevention, humanly speaking, of another pestilence. But as their fear wore off, which it soon began to do, they resumed their falling out among themselves and did nothing. Consequently, the scourge appeared again, low down as before, 
and spread avengingly upward as before and carried off vast numbers of the brawlers. But not a man among them ever admitted, if in the least degree he ever perceived, that he had anything to do with it. So nobody lived and died in the old, old, old way. And this in the main is the whole of nobody's story. Had he no name, you ask? Perhaps it was Legion. It matters little what his name was. Let us call him Legion. If you were ever in the Belgian villages near the field of Waterloo, you will have seen in some quiet little church a monument erected by faithful companions in arms to the memory of Colonel A, Major B, Captain C, D and E, Lieutenants F and G, Ensigns H, I and J, seven non-commissioned officers, and 130 rank and file who fell in the discharge of their duty on the memorable day. The story of nobody is the story of the rank and file of the earth. They bear their share of the battle. They have their part in the victory. They fall. They leave no name but in the mass. The march of the proudest of us leads to the dusty way by which they go. Oh, let us think of them this year at the Christmas fire and not forget them when it is burnt out. Let your heart be light Next year all our troubles will be out of sight Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the yuletide gay Next year all our troubles will be miles away Once again as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, faithful friends who were dear to us will be near to us once more. Someday soon we all will be together, if the fates allow, until then we'll have to muddle through A merry little Christmas
You are listening to The Quiet Carriages Christmas Edition right here on 94.9 Main FM. And there we heard Ella Fitzgerald with her very famous Christmas track, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And that followed on from a reading of Charles Dickens's Nobody's Story by Bert Wolf. And now it's time for a bit more Dickens. And this story is called What Christmas Is as we grow older, and it's provided by the people at Florida Center for Instructional Technology. Here it is, What Christmas Is As We Grow Older, by Charles Dickens. What Christmas Is As We Grow Older, by Charles Dickens. Time was, with most of us, when Christmas Day, encircling all our limited world like a magic ring, left nothing out for us to miss or seek bound together all our home enjoyments, affections, and hopes, grouped everything and everyone around the Christmas fire, and made the little picture shining in our bright young eyes complete. Time came, perhaps, all so soon, when our thoughts overleaped that narrow boundary, when there was someone, very dear, we thought then, very beautiful and absolutely perfect, wanting to the fullness of our happiness, when we were wanting too, or we thought so, which did just as well, at the Christmas hearth by which that someone sat. And when we intertwined with every wreath and garland of our life, that someone's name. That was the time for the bright visionary Christmases which have long arisen from us to show faintly after summer rain in the palest edges of the rainbow. That was the time for the beatified enjoyment of the things that were to be and never were, and yet the things that were so real in our resolute hope that it would be hard to say now what realities achieved since have been stronger. What? Did that Christmas never really come when we and the priceless pearl who was our young choice were received after the happiest of totally impossible marriages by the two united families previously at daggers drawn on our account? When brothers and sisters-in-law, who had always been rather cool to us before our relationship was effected, perfectly doted on us, and when fathers and mothers overwhelmed us with unlimited incomes, was that Christmas dinner never really eaten after which we arose and generously and eloquently rendered honour to our late rival present in the company, then and there exchanging friendship and forgiveness, and founding an attachment not to be surpassed in Greek or Roman story which subsisted until death? Has that same rival long ceased to care for that same priceless pearl and married for money and become usurious? Above all, do we really know now that we should probably have been miserable if we had won and worn the pearl and that we are better without her? That Christmas when we had recently achieved so much fame, when we had been carried in triumph somewhere for doing something great and good, when we had won an honoured and ennobled name and arrived and were received at home in a shower of tears of joy, is it possible that that Christmas has not come yet? And is our life here at the best so constituted that, pausing as we advance at such a noticeable milestone in the track as this great birthday, we look back on the things that never were as naturally and fully as gravely as on the things that have been and are gone, or have been and still are? If it be so, and so it seems to be, must we come to the conclusion that life is little better than a dream, and little worth the loves and strivings that we crowd into it? No. Far be such miscalled philosophy from us, dear reader, on Christmas Day. Nearer and closer to our hearts be the Christmas spirit, which is the spirit of active usefulness, perseverance, cheerful discharge of duty, kindness and forbearance. It is in the last virtues especially, that we are, or should be, strengthened by the unaccomplished visions of our youth. For who shall say that they are not our teachers to deal gently even with the impalpable nothings of the earth? Therefore, as we grow older, let us be more thankful that the circle of our Christmas associations and of the lessons that they bring expands. Let us welcome every one of them and summon them to take their places by the Christmas hearth. Welcome, old aspirations, glittering creatures of an ardent fancy, to your shelter underneath the holly. We know you, and have not outlived you yet. Welcome old projects and old loves, however fleeting to your nooks among the steadier lights that burn around us. Welcome all that was ever real to our hearts, and for the earnestness that made you real thanks to heaven. Do we build no Christmas castles in the clouds now? Let our thoughts fluttering like butterflies among these flowers of children bear witness— Before this boy, 
There stretches out a future brighter than we ever looked on in our old romantic time, but bright with honor and with truth. Around this little head on which the sunny curls lie heaped, the graces sport as prettily as airily as when there was no scythe within the reach of time to shear away the curls of our first love. Upon another girl's face near it, placider, but smiling bright, a quiet and contented little face, we see home fairly written. Shining from the word as rays shine from a star, we see how, when our graves are old, other hopes than ours are young, other hearts than ours are moved, how other ways are smoothed, how other happiness blooms, ripens, and decays. No, not decays, for other homes and other bands of children, not yet in being, nor for ages yet to be, arise and bloom and ripen to the end of all. Welcome everything. Welcome alike what has been and what never was, and what we hope may be, to your shelter underneath the holly, to your places round the Christmas fire, where what is sits open-hearted. In yonder shadow do we see obtruding furtively upon the plays an enemy's face? By Christmas day we do forgive him. If the injury he has done us may admit of such companionship, let him come here and take his place. If otherwise, unhappily, let him go hence assured that we will never injure nor accuse him. On this day we shut out nothing. Pause, says a low voice. Nothing. Think. On Christmas Day we will shut out from our fireside nothing. Not the shadow of a vast city where the withered leaves are lying deep, the voice replies. Not the shadow that darkens the whole globe. Not the shadow of the city of the dead. Not even that. Of all days in the year, we will turn our faces towards that city upon Christmas Day, and from its silent hosts bring those we loved among us, city of the dead, in the blessed name wherein we are gathered together at this time, and in the presence that is here among us according to the promise, we will receive and not dismiss thy people who are dear to us. Yes, we can look upon these children angels that are light so solemnly, so beautifully among the living children by the fire, and can bear to think how they departed from us. Entertaining angels unawares, as the patriarchs did, the playful children are unconscious of their guests, but we can see them, can see a radiant arm around one favorite neck, as if there were a tempting of that child away. Among the celestial figures there is one, a poor misshapen boy on earth, of a glorious beauty now, of whom his dying mother said it grieved her much to leave him here, alone, for so many years, as it was likely would elapse before he came to her, being such a little child. But he went quickly, and was laid upon her breast, and in her hand she leads him. There was a gallant boy who fell far away upon a burning sand beneath a burning sun, and said, Tell them at home, with my last love, how much I could have wished to kiss them once, but that I died contented and had done my duty. Or there was another over whom they read the words, Therefore we commit his body to the deep, and so consigned him to the lonely ocean and sailed on. Or there was another who lay down to his rest in the dark shadow of great forests, and on earth awoke no more. Oh, shall they not from sand and sea and forest be brought home at such a time? There was a dear girl, almost a woman, never to be one, who made a morning Christmas in a house of joy, and went her trackless way to the silent city. Do we recollect her, worn out, faintly whispering what could not be heard, and falling into that last sleep for weariness. Oh, look upon her now. Oh, look upon her beauty, her serenity, her changeless youth, her happiness. The daughter of Jairus was recalled to life, to die, but she, more blessed, has heard the same voice saying unto her, Arise forever. We had a friend, who was our friend from early days, with whom we often pictured the changes that were to come upon our lives, and merrily imagined how we would speak, and walk, and think, and talk, when we came to be old. His destined habitation in the city of the dead received him in his prime. Shall he be shut out from our Christmas remembrance? Would his love have so excluded us? Lost friend, lost child, lost parent, sister, brother, husband, wife, we will not so discard you. You shall hold your cherished places in our Christmas hearts and by our Christmas fires, and in the season of immortal hope and on the birthday of immortal mercy we will shut out nothing. The winter sun goes down over town and village. On the sea it makes a rosy path, as if this sacred tread were fresh upon the water. A few more moments, 
and it sinks, and night comes on, and lights begin to sparkle in the prospect. On the hillside beyond the shapelessly diffused town, and in the quiet keeping of the trees that gird the village steeple, remembrances are cut in stone, planted in common flowers, growing in grass, entwined with lowly brambles around many a mound of earth. In town and village there are doors and windows closed against the weather, there are flaming logs leaped high, there are joyful faces, there is healthy music of voices. Be all ungentleness and harm excluded from the temples of the household gods, but be those remembrances admitted with tender encouragement. They are of the time, and all its comforting and peaceful reassurances, and of the history that reunited even upon earth the living and the dead, and of the broad beneficence and goodness that too many men have tried to tear to narrow shreds. The End of What Christmas Is As We Grow Older by Charles Dickens Theatre Royal, Castle Maine's Loyal Royal membership drive is on. Sign up for exclusive benefits including cinema discounts, early bird specials and much more. Serving dinner five nights a week plus lunch on weekends. Visit theatreroyalcastlemaine.com.au or follow them on socials for all the latest updates. Theatre Royal, Castle Maine, entertaining Maine FM sponsor. For the finest local and Victorian regional wine, look no further than Castlemaine Central Wine Store. They've got locally produced ciders, craft beer, plus a great range of everyday drinking wines at affordable prices. And they even sell gift vouchers. Castlemaine Central Wine Store, Littleton Street, Castlemaine. Monday to Saturday from 10.30am. A proud sponsor of 94.9 Maine FM. You are listening to the Quiet Carriage Christmas Special here on 94.9 Main FM. And before those announcements, we heard Brendalee with Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Hard to believe she was 13 when she recorded that vocal. Absolutely incredible. And that followed on from Charles Dickens' story, What Christmas Is As We Grow Older. Here's another by Charles Dickens. This is The Child Story, read by Lauren Sawyer. The Child Story. Once upon a time, a good many years ago, there was a traveler, and he set out upon a journey. It was a magic journey, and it would seem very long when he began it, and very short when he got halfway through. He traveled along a rather dark path for some little time without meeting anything, until at last he came to a beautiful child. 
So he said to the child, What do you do here? And the child said, I am always at play. Come and play with me. So he played with the child the whole day long, and they were very merry. The sky was so blue, the sun was so bright, the water was so sparkling, the leaves were so green, and they had heard such singing birds and saw so many butterflies that everything was beautiful. This was in fine weather. When it rained, they loved to watch the falling drops and to smell the fresh scents. When it blew, it was delightful to listen to the wind and fancy what it said as it came rushing from its home. Where was that, they wondered, whistling and howling, driving the clouds before it, bending the trees, rumbling in the chimneys, shaking the house, and making the sea roar in fury. But when it snowed, that was the best of all, for they liked nothing so well as to look up at the white flakes falling fast and thick, like down from the breasts of millions of white birds, and to see how smooth and deep the drift was, and to listen to the hush upon the paths and roads. They had plenty of the finest toys in the world, and the most astonishing picture books, all about scimitars and slippers and turbans, and dwarves and giants and genie and fairies, and bluebeards and beanstalks, and riches and caverns and forests and valentines and orsons, and all new and all true. But one day, all of a sudden, Traveler lost the child. He called him over and over again, but got no answer. So he went upon his road, and went on for a little while without meeting anything, until at last he came to a handsome boy. So he said to the boy, What do you do here? And the boy said, I'm always learning. Come and learn with me. So he learned with that boy about Jupiter and Juno, and the Greeks and the Romans, and I don't know what, and learned more than I could tell, or he either, for he soon forgot a great deal of it. But they were not always learning. They had the merriest of games that ever were played. They rode upon the river in the summer, and skated on the ice in the winter. They were active afoot, and active on horseback, at cricket, and all games at ball, at prisoner's base, hare and hounds, follow my leader, and more sports than I can think of. Nobody could beat them. They had holidays, too, and twelfth cakes, and parties, where they danced till midnight, and real theaters, where they saw palaces of real gold and silver rise out of the real earth, and saw all the wonders of the world at once. As to friends, they had such dear friends and so many of them that I want to reckon them up. They were all so young, like the handsome boy, and were never to be strange to one another all their lives through. Still, one day, in the midst of all these pleasures, the traveler lost the boy as he had lost the child, and after calling him in vain, went on upon his journey. So he went on for a little while without seeing anything, until at last he came to a young man. So he said to the young man, What do you do here? And the young man said, I am always in love. Come and love with me. So he went away with that young man, and presently they came to one of the prettiest girls that was ever seen, just like Fanny in the corner over there. And she had eyes like Fanny, and hair like Fanny, and dimples like Fanny's, and she laughed and colored just as Fanny does when I'm talking about her. <laughs> so the young man fell in love directly, just as somebody I won't mention. The first time he came here, did with Fanny. Well, he was teased sometimes, just as somebody used to be by Fanny, and they quarreled sometimes, just as somebody and Fanny used to quarrel, and they made it up and sat in the dark and wrote letters every day and never were happy asunder and were always looking out for one another and pretending not to. They were engaged at Christmas time and sat close to one another by the fire and were going to be married very soon. All exactly like somebody I won't mention, and Fanny. <laughs> but the traveler lost them one day, as he had lost the rest of his friends. 
and after calling them to come back, which they never did, went on upon his journey. So he went on for a little while without seeing anything, until at last he came to a middle-aged gentleman. So he said to the gentleman, What are you doing here? And his answer was, I'm always busy. Come and be busy with me. So he began to be very busy with that gentleman, and they went on through the wood together. The whole journey was through a wood, only it had been open and green at first, like a wood in spring, and now began to be thick and dark, like a wood in summer. Some of the little trees that had come out earliest were even turning brown. The gentleman was not alone, but had a lady of about the same age with him, who was his wife, and they had children, who were with them too. So they all went on together through the wood, cutting down the trees and making a path through the branches and the fallen leaves, and carrying burdens and working hard. Sometimes they came to a long green avenue that opened into deeper woods. Then they would hear another very little distant voice crying, Father, Father, I am another child. Stop for me. And presently they would see a very little figure growing larger as it came along, running to join them. When it came up, they all crowded round it, kissed and welcomed it, and then they all went on together. Sometimes they came to several avenues at once, and then they all stood still, and one of the children said, Father, I am going to see. And another said, Father, I am going to India. And another Father, I am going to seek my fortune where I can. And another. Father, I am going to heaven. So, with many tears at parting, they went, solitary, down those avenues, each child upon its way. And the child who went to heaven rose into the golden air and vanished. Whenever these partings happened, the traveler looked at the gentleman and saw him glance up at the sky above the trees, where the day was beginning to decline and the sunset come on. He saw, too, that his hair was turning gray. But they could never rest long, for they had their journey to perform, and it was necessary for them to be always busy. At last, there had been so many partings that there were no children left, and only the traveler, the gentleman, and the lady went upon their way in company. And now the wood was yellow, brown, and the leaves, even of the forest trees, began to fall. So they came to an avenue that was darker than the rest, and were pressing forward on their journey without looking down it when the lady stopped. My husband, said the lady, I am called. They listened, and they heard a voice a long way down the avenue say, Mother, Mother! It was the voice of the first child who had said, I'm going to heaven. And the father said, I pray not yet. The sunset is very near. I pray not yet. But the voice cried, Mother, mother, without minding him. Though his hair was now quite white, and tears were on his face. Then the mother, who was already drawn into the shade of the dark avenue, moving away with her arms still round his neck, kissed him and said, my dearest, I am summoned, and I go. And she was gone, and the traveler and he were left alone together. And they went on and on together, until they came very near the end of the wood, so near that they could see the sunset shining red before them through the trees. Yet once more, while he broke his way among the branches, the traveler lost his friend, he called and called, but there was no reply. When he passed out of the wood and saw the peaceful sun going down upon a white purple prospect, he came to an old man sitting on a fallen tree. So he said to the old man, What do you do here? And the old man said with a calm smile, I am always remembering. Come and remember with me. So the traveler sat down by the side of the old man, face to face, with the serene sunset, and all of his friends came softly back and stood around him. The beautiful child, the handsome boy, 
the young man in love, the father, mother and children, every one of them was there, and he had lost nothing. So he loved them all, and was kind and forbearing with them all, and was always pleased to watch them all, and they all honored and loved him. And I think the traveler must be yourself, dear grandfather, because this is what you do to us, and what we do to you. End of The Child's Story by Charles Dickens Read by Lauren Sauer Listening to the Quiet Carriage on ninety-four point nine Main FM. Myself as your host, Paul J. Laverty, and there we heard Chris Rea. Always good to hear a bit of Chris Rea, especially at Christmas, with his song there, "Driving Home for Christmas," and that followed the Child Story, which was by Charles Dickens and read by Lauren Sauer. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I did, and that is unfortunately all we have time for today. 
also for the year. A huge thank you to you, the listeners out there, not just for listening to me today, but for the entire year. And, you know, as corny as it sounds, you are what makes the show and it would be pointless doing it without you. So thank you so much for listening. I'm going to go on a bit of a break now until the first Friday in February, but I will be uploading repeats every Friday of some of this year's best episodes, and that will be on the usual time, Fridays at 1pm on 94.9 Main FM and mainfm.net. And also remember that all previous episodes are available on Spotify, and you can find me across all the socials under the name Paul J. Laverty. It's not Christmas at my house without a bit of Slade, so I'm going to leave you with their song, Merry Christmas, Everybody. Until next year, keep safe, keep well, and keep reading. your outdoors with solar power lights using free energy from the sun solar power lights offers a fast and friendly delivery service with a huge range of outdoor and security lights try solar power lights before you buy to see what works best for your space visit solarpowerlights.com.au solar power lights a main fm sponsor 
no agenda. Music, interviews, mostly music. Saturdays, noon until 2pm on 94.9 Main FM. Make it your soundtrack for Saturday. Saturday. 